Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. Nothing is happening. It is. All quiet on the Missouri front. I can't think of a single news item that's actually been related to Missouri football, has graced my eyeballs or my, my, my timeline in the past two weeks. BK, what are we supposed to talk about? Uh, good question. Hopefully a lot of good football and hopefully a team that's going to be excellent in 2023. That's that's my hope as to what we're going to be discussing. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Uh, actually, I think the only real football item that even came close to being a thing uh, involves the Missouri baseball team, which congratulations to them. One, two or three over the weekend. Uh, and the reason that this is pertinent to football is because there's a gentleman named Sam Horn who uh, showed up as, as a pitcher for the Missouri Tigers. Uh, threw about 98 miles per hour, which is pretty good. Uh, had some strikes, had some walks. But we finally saw Sam Horn like actually play meaningful sports at the University of Missouri, which we went all fall without really saying that. <laughs> and he looked pretty good. Uh, I, I am not a, a baseball guy. I'm not anything but a college football guy. Uh, but it seemed like... People were impressed and mostly just happy that he got out uh, to see some action. So other than the fact that he's going to be drafted uh, next year, BK, what, what did you think of Sam Horn's performance from the stuff that you saw? Uh, seemed to be good, seemed to be impressive. People seemed to like what they saw out of him. And the most important thing was just that he like got out there and actually pitched. 
So um, that that seems to be all good signs for him. Had a couple of strikeouts. Um, so y- you like to see it. I will be totally honest, though. As a selfish Mizzou football fan and not baseball fan necessarily, like obviously you root for him, but it's not my primary sport that I watch for Mizzou. Um, I would be totally fine if he doesn't pitch again the rest of the season. <laughs> like if he ends up just performing in spring football and not doing a single other thing the entire rest of the year for the baseball team, that wouldn't hurt my feelings at all. But obviously that's not going to happen. I would be too. Let's again, let's keep this in mind, whatever he wants to do, whatever he ends up doing, this scholarship is tied to football. The NIL for as far as we know is tied to football. Uh, yeah, we can go ahead and not even put any like allegedly possibly made. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, that is where the money is. So the point is if he were to choose to step away from football, and pursue baseball, not only would he lose his NIL, he would lose most of his scholarship. I'm not saying, you know, he can't afford it. You know, there, there are ways you can afford it. And, you know, either the parents can do it or you take out loans or whatever, just like everybody else. But point is, it would be a huge financial hit uh, in the short term for him to make that move. Now, if he thinks that's worth it and he can make it into the MLB and, you know, live the terrible, you know, <laughs> minor league life, like, go knock yourself out. That's fine. But he, I, until proven otherwise, until he comes out and says, I am a baseball player, he is going to be a football player. All of his priorities are going to be with the football team. And yeah, showing up for a couple of innings in February, totally fine. He's not doing anything else. If you come around and say that during you know, spring practices or you see him no longer on the side of the, uh, on the sideline um, or during fall practice, then that's something completely different. So I am with you. Have him spot start or, you know, get in, in some couple places and just get the experience. But no, he, he is a Missouri quarterback. And until he walks away, that's what he is going to be. Yeah, that that's where his primary focus is going to be. And the other thing that is important to keep in mind, like there's just not a whole lot of crossover typically with baseball schedules and football schedules. Like the vast majority of spring football stuff is done during the week. The vast majority of baseball stuff is done during the weekend at least this early on in the season. So I, I would think, or, or at night, um, and I, I would think he'll be fine for the spring. And like you said, if there is any sort of conflict, typically the way that this goes, and this is just typical, is the, the tie goes to football. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. I wouldn't either. So congrats to him, and congrats to the baseball team, of course. I uh, hope they do well in the toughest uh, baseball conference in America. That's not MLB. Let's talk some SEC. Let's talk some big picture stuff. Greg Sankey came out uh, a couple days ago, maybe a week ago. I don't know anymore. He was talking about the SEC schedule going forward because Oklahoma and Texas got their big fancy lawyers and somehow, some way found a way to leave the big 12 at the conclusion of the 2023 season which means that they will be joining the SEC for the 2024 season, which we all kind of figured they were going to be doing anyway, but there was a little bit of a question because they hadn't done it yet. So blah, blah, all that stuff. Anyway, it is official. It's officially official. Oklahoma and Texas will be on the schedule in 2024. Now here's how that pertains to interest level for Missouri. 
We have spoken before. I have written plenty of pieces on it. I know college football writers at large have written tons of pieces and spilled a lot of ink, online ink, about what possibilities you could have with pods or cross-divisional rivals and all that sort of stuff. And it kind of seems like, at least from Greg Sankey's mouth, is that they are going to what he calls, quote, a one-division conference or a single-division model. So that would get rid of having an SEC East and an SEC West, and it would be more like, uh, well, like the Pac-12 or the American Conference. And what those conferences do is they have uh, kind of a rotating conference schedule over the years uh, where every school plays every other school. And then at the end of a particular season, you just take the two teams with the best records and they play for the conference championship. So there isn't an East and a West. It's just the two best, which I think is fine. Now, you still have a little bit of potting here, if I can be frank, because what comes up when you talk about the SEC? Traditional rivals. And it is really important to this confederacy, which is a term that you can use in multiple ways, that they get to play their traditional rivals. So Tennessee always wants Alabama. You know, Florida wants Georgia. You got you know Missouri, who doesn't really have a rival, but like is cool playing Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, Mississippi, or Ole Miss and Mississippi State, um, Alabama, Auburn. Like you have a lot of schools that have very particular rivals that they want to keep playing, and massaging those egos and scheduling that out. That's that's been the big thing. Who is going to be your rotating cast of rivals? Which is <clears throat> kind of like a pod. So BK, I don't know where this is going to end up. And if you believe Sankey, which I don't, they have been working on a model for 90, you know, for, for the past nine months or whatever it is. And like in the next 90 days, they're going to come up and with something. they've already got it figured out. They know what they're going to float. They just need to vote on it. My question, BK, is what do you think that's going to be? Obviously, the teams have a, a ranking that they were able to submit to the conference and say, we'd like to play these teams. And I know we've talked about it before, but how do you think this is going to shake out? So I think there's a few different things that are noteworthy here. Uh, one is that I, I think that for a lot of Mizzou fans, you immediately go to, well, there's going to be a big te- Big 12 tie-in, right? Like, are you going to end up with Oklahoma, Texas, Texas A&M? Who are you going to end up with that is your permanent rival out of those three in particular? I think Texas is just flat out off the table. Like, I, I think that Texas is going to have Texas A&M. They're going to have Oklahoma. They're going to have Arkansas. I think those are going to be their three permanent rivals. Oklahoma is very possible because they'll have Texas for sure. I don't know who else they're going to have. My guess would be Missouri's probably going to be among them. And then I think that the other one for Mizzou is pretty easy, that you're going to get Arkansas. Um, I, I would assume that that'll be forced upon all of us. Um, and then it really comes down to that third one. Is it South Carolina? Is it Kentucky? Is it Vandy? Who ends up being that third team that is paired with Mizzou? If I had, like, for competitive reasons, I hope Vandy. Like, I having one win per year or having the easiest of the SEC schools as an every year team that you play against, that is ideal. If I'm looking at this just from purely a, I, I want to see that team every year, I would go with either Kentucky or South Carolina. So I, I think that you end up getting Oklahoma and Arkansas as two, and then it really comes down to who is that third team. And the preference on that is kind of dependent upon what you're looking for in that third game. Yeah. I mean, 
Arkansas, yes, it's going to happen. Just prepare yourself. That's going to happen. Oklahoma is also going to happen. There is technically a trophy associated with the Missouri-Oklahoma game. It's the Missouri-Oklahoma peace pipe, even though Oklahoma smoked that thing for like 80 straight games or whatever it is. That I feel like that is inevitable as well. I don't think Texas A&M is going to be a Missouri draw. Agreed. I wouldn't mind. But yeah, between Texas and then LSU, which those two hate each other and love to hate each other, and the fact that A&M and Arkansas have that Jerry World deal, um, where they have to play in the dome or what do they, what do they call it? Yeah. Whatever the Dallas Cowboys stadium. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. That thing goes through, I think 27 or 28. So they are contractually obligated to play each other. And I'm sure again, sec lawyers can go in there and find some outs, but I kind of feel like that's going to be a and M's three. Me personally, if you've got Oklahoma, which is, ugh, you know, that's going to be tough. You got Arkansas who we have somehow been able to own <laughs> for the past eight years. Got a, despite all other things happening. I, I don't know. I kind of, I yes, competitive stake, Vanderbilt. But South Carolina, Missouri is always a good game. It's always a good game. And that doesn't mean that it, it will always be a good game. But man, regardless of quality, they have played some banners uh, since Mizzou has joined the SEC. And I would be good with that. The Battle of Columbia's two, two teams that are basically the same. I, I like that a lot. Now, if I was going for wins, I'd say Vandy. I think you are high if you want Kentucky, sir. That is that is not oh, something that I want. I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that I want Kentucky. <laughs> okay. I think Kentucky and South Carolina are the two actual rivals for Mizzou, though, right now in the SEC East. Like, if you're looking for two teams that are peer programs for Mizzou that always play competitive, tight, down-to-the-wire types of games, those are the two. Th- those are the ones that are always the most interesting. In fact, like... If for some reason, it won't happen. If for some reason, the SEC decided, you know what, Arkansas, we have other teams that we think are better for you. Like Texas, Texas A&M, and LSU make more sense for you as your rivals in the SEC. I would be totally fine with them saying we're getting Oklahoma, South Carolina, and Kentucky. That that sounds super fun to me. I would prefer to play those two over Arkansas, but we know how this is going to work. They got that big ass trophy that they got to hand out. Mm-hmm. They spent a bunch of money on that thing. They are not. They got it late. Late. They got it on a certain date. They got it with a sponsor. Like Missouri's getting Arkansas. We're we're stuck with them either way. I am curious how um, the non-con rivalry week games go, and by that I mean Georgia, Georgia Tech, South Carolina, Clemson, and then Kentucky and Louisville. I don't know where those go. And I, I don't know if that just doesn't get messed with. And that's going to be Thanksgiving week. Like it always is. Or if some of these rivalries get pushed uh, to the post SoCon challenge uh, week, like I, I don't know how that's going to go. And that's going to be a whole other political minefield that Greg Sankey gets to, gets to wade through. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I am curious how this is all going to shake out. I did a breakdown of what it would look like with Texas and Oklahoma entering the SEC. And I haven't updated that um, since I did it a couple of years ago. It's not all that different. Oklahoma is going to come in as a middle of the pack recruiter, but one of the better SP plus performers over the past five years, Texas has flipped. They are going to be coming in as one of the best recruiting teams in the conference with a very middling SP plus performance. So, you know, do you want Oklahoma or Texas? I mean, you don't really want either one, but I would prefer Oklahoma because, I mean, at least you can surprise get them every once in a while. 
Uh, Texas stinks, but they always just have great, great. And if we're being honest, I have no idea where the, what the trajectory of Oklahoma's program is right now. No idea. Like it, it very well could five years from now be in a state where it's like, whoa, wait, remember when Oklahoma was, was amazing offensively under Lincoln Riley, what happened? Or it could be where like their defense is so damn good that they're like the Midwest version of Kentucky. You know, like I I have no idea, no clue whatsoever what their trajectory is going to be over the next five years. Do you know, this will be some fun trivia. Do you know the last time that Missouri beat Oklahoma and Texas? Not in the same year, just ever. When's the last time Missouri beat Oklahoma? When's the last time they beat Texas? Um, I'd have to go back through my Rolodex. I mean, Oklahoma was the homecoming game. So what was that? 2010? Yep. 2010. Yep. Texas would have been... God, I'm drawing a blank on what year that would have been. Would you like a hint? Is it, has it been... What? Oh, oh, go for it. Yeah. Give me a hint. Henry Josie died. Oh, well. I don't like to think about that. No. But this was the game where it happened. Yeah. You give up? That was 11, right? That's 11. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Now, before them... Sorry, I thought we were acknowledging that we were on the same page. (laughs) It's okay. Before then, Missouri hadn't beat Texas since 1997. And before the 2010 victory, Missouri hadn't beaten Oklahoma since 1998. So it had been a while. Now, they didn't play each other. Remember, it'd be two years on, two years off. So over that time frame, it's not like they were losing every single season. But, you know, that's that's where Missouri was back in the day against Texas and Oklahoma. So who knows? I I think, uh, you know, Oklahoma's offense certainly fell off a cliff once Lincoln Riley left. You know, obviously, they still are very talented, but uh, not nearly as effective as they used to be. And Texas actually had a pretty decent year, uh, actually a top 15 SP plus team. But even if they didn't uh, perform extraordinarily well in the win loss column, uh, but we are Missouri. We are we are very comfortable with the we're a quality team that doesn't always win all the games. So, you know what that's like, uh, even if you are Texas and have, you know, Texas style recruiting. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um and of course, last time Missouri lost to Texas was in the was it the Alamo Bowl, twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the famous backpack game. Yeah, well, yeah, that was a that was a stupid game. Um, so yeah, anyway, we'll see what it looks like. I, I, it sounds like they are going to officially come out with the schedules um, before the spring meetings in Dustin. 
which isn't that far away. So I'm, I'm assuming we'll hear something soon and I'm sure we will hate it or at least a group of people will hate it and we'll have continuing dialogue about what this looks like. And of course we'll break that down, what that schedule is going to look like projecting out forward. Uh, and so you can get either super happy or super sad, uh, depending on how you view it. I didn't realize by the way, uh, random update, Tom Herman now at FAU. Yes, he is. Interesting. I remember when he was a can't, cannot miss head coaching candidate. Yeah. There was that buzz uh, that maybe he was going to be at Mizzou. And then I was like, no, that's probably not going to happen. He's going to go to Texas. (laughs) Yeah. And then he, uh, didn't make his players sing the, the choo-choo song. Didn't let him make him sing the fight song. So the boosters fired him. What a what a silly school that is. He also seemed like not the most enjoyable human being to be around, so I don't feel too bad for him. But yeah, I mean, if if you're judging that off of the bowl game, one hundred percent. Yeah, uh, he, I'm judging it off of a lot of stuff. In, in oh. Houston, he was not particularly well liked either. Well, he had one foot out the door the entire time. So that fair, touche. He did seem to at least have his players back, which I will give him credit for that. But that's really easy to do when that is your job to yeah. literally have your players back. So you don't really get extra credit there. Uh, but yeah, good good for him for being at FAU. How the how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> Let's talk about rules. Yeah, we're going to talk about rules. Not so much referees, because you know that's that's never a good a good thing to discuss. But it sounds like college football might be reevaluating some of their rules and procedures, which, you know, to keep the product fresh, to stay in the conversation, you kind of have to do every once in a while. But there is an argument to be said, like, hey, it's not broken, you know, don't fix it. But at the same time, you know, maybe things are broken. But according to Ross Dellinger, uh, there were um Four are four proposals that are under consideration for rule changes. Uh, the first one is prohibiting consecutive timeouts, um, which I did not realize was still a thing. But then he <laughs> said icing kickers. And I was like, oh, OK, I guess technically, yes, he can still do that. So that is a potential one. The second one that he cited is no untimed down at the end of first quarter or third quarter. The third one was that clock runs after first downs, except inside of two minutes and a half put up. Put a pin in that one. And then number four, the clock runs on incompletions. Once ball is spotted, put a gigantic pin on that one. BK, one of my biggest problems with the sport of football, regardless of level, is that it's a different game depending on where you go. Uh, Both at the high school level and inside the high school level, like Texas state football has different rules. Missouri state football. Uh, the college level is obviously its own beast to itself. And then the pros have a completely different set of rules as well. And it seems so silly to have a single sport be dictated by like, almost a completely different rule book, um, depending on the level that you are at. That, you know, it certainly doesn't stop kids from developing to be good pros, but it does seem awfully weird that the hash marks are on different sides. That you can sometimes catch it with one foot, or sometimes it's got to be two feet. And sometimes the clock runs. Uh, when you get a first down, sometimes it stops and uh, that is weird. And if we had a czar of football, I would ask that, that person to codify the rules in a manner that as long as it's not a physical adaptation, make it so the rules are the same. Do you have any strong takes on football rules or any of the rules that we just kind of highlighted by Ross Dellinger's reporting? Okay. So this is my strong opinion on college football pace of play. Because that's essentially what we're talking about here. 
They People don't say it out loud like that, but that's what it is. Baseball gets all of this crap for the way that it, it, it slogs along, right? It is slow. It is a grind. And it is untimed, and therefore it's almost like a, a an accepted part of the game in baseball, at least it has been in the past, that that's just the way that it, it, it plays. They're trying to change that now. They've got a pitch timer. They've got a, a number of times that you can throw a pickoff rule. They've got a bunch of stuff that's supposed to increase the action that is taking place and increase the pace of that action. Football needs that at the college level. If we're just being totally honest about it, man, think about how often on a Saturday you are spending four plus hours watching a college football game. And now think about all of the downtime that takes place within that four hours. There are just games where it takes too long. And so if these rules are able to drive at the heart of that problem, and I think college football's pace of play is worse than baseball's pace of play at this point because of how slow the games are at times. Um, I I would be in favor of every single rule change that they can go to within like a reasonable amount of rules that you can change in any one offseason. So I'm here for these. I have no problem with these. Is there any in particular that you think would have the biggest impact among them? Uh, It's one that he didn't cite and I didn't see it in the piece, but boy, we need to limit reviews to like one minute. For sure. Yep. Like if, if you, you can't, can't get it within the first 45 seconds or 30 seconds or whatever, I would even go less than that. Like, yeah, then, then just keep it as it is. The rule Play is stands. supposed to be if there is no indisputable evidence, then leave it as it is. So yep. you, then, then you've got to You've got to go ahead and go with that. I, I love that idea. Yeah, it's a that's a pitch count for reviews. Um, I would say 30 seconds is fine. If if you if you gotta go sixty, that's cool too. But basically, the, the that little heads up thing that they got after sixty seconds, it goes black and sorry, it stands. And and I understand that they are trying to get it right. I appreciate that they want to make sure that any human error is removed from their litigation of the sport. But oh my god, <laughs> you do not need to be that perfect. And if like you said, if it's not just absolutely apparent within the first 10 seconds, then what the heck are you doing? What are you doing? So that, that would be my big one. Um, the actual issue is one that will never go away, which is you got to limit the commercial breaks. You know, think of sec on CBS. It's, you know, it is touchdown, extra point commercial kickoff commercial. You know, sometimes a commercial, even after that, like there are way too many commercial breaks and you're not going to limit that because this whole thing is to make money. And that's what they're going to do, especially with live TV. So one of the ways that you can do that, by the way, Nate, is the after the touchdown fields goal or PAT, go to commercial, come back for the kickoff, go to commercial, come back. That's something the NFL did recently. And it like sounds so silly, but it actually does make an impact because you don't have those like two commercials within like a three minute stretch type of situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you need to, you know, a lot of... uh a lot of sports have been doing the live cutting commercials. I think yes. even the SEC has done that. That's fine. Baseball's doing those. Yeah, that is fine. Um, and obviously, the, you know, if you would go that way, then obviously the value of the in-stadium advertising goes up a little bit, which is a different beast. But point is, you know, you can do, you can get creative in your advertising without completely shutting down the flow of the game. So that that is a big one for me. 
I gotta, I want to go back to the two pins that I put down the clock stuff. And that is, that is a discrepancy that, that varies across both the, the vertical and the horizontal of where you play football. I think we need to just make that uniform across the board. And for me, I am good with the clock running after a first down. I always thought it was super weird uh, that it stopped in college <laughs> for a first down. Like it, it was able to extend drives. Like, I think that's kind of cool. There's some strategy to it, but you know, it does run, you know, once the ball is set. So it's not like you had a free timeout, just run it, man. Like that's what the NFL does. That's what a lot of high schools do. If you get a first down, just keep the clock running. That's okay. The whole running, um, you know, inside of two minutes, um, you know, whatever, how you want to do it. I, I don't just do it for the entire game. The one that bugs me is clock running on incompletions once the ball is spotted. And I want to say it for this reason. It used to be that the blue blood teams, the really good ones, what they do, they'd, they'd recruit the biggest offensive lineman, the best running back, and they just, they just milk the clock, right? Mm -hmm. Just wind that clock down by running. That's not what the elite teams do anymore. They have the best quarterback, they have the best receivers, and they throw it. So if you have a team that's really good at throwing and they can milk the clock by throwing, that takes a huge part of the strategy kind of out of the game. And I understand I might be sitting here and being a curmudgeon and like kind of the, the designated hitter conversation in baseball a couple years ago. But I kind of like the idea that if you are a pass first, pass second team and you're trying to milk the clock, hey, we're going to have to make you throw a counterpunch and run it. And the good teams are going to find a way to do it. But it is it does add a little bit extra strategy and makes it so that you just can't be a pass it all over the field type of team. Um you know, making the clock run on an incompletion that, that takes that part out of it. What, I mean, am I being silly about this or what are your thoughts on it? No, I, I think that's fair. I, I don't have as strong of a take on it as you do just because like, I, I just don't really care either way. Honestly, I, I think that we need, again, I think we need stuff that incentivizes action <laughs> and incentivizes the game to move. Like, I, I think the problem with baseball is a lack of action. I think the problem with football at the college level is a lack of pace. And so mm -hmm. at the at the baseball level, like on at Major League Baseball, they always talk about the pace of play. It's really about the, the amount of action within that time. College football, it is really about the pace of the action because the action's there. Like the, the game itself, I think, is really healthy. I think college football as a product is very watchable. It is fun. It is the in so many different ways. What I have always loved about college football is that you get different schematic advantages. Like if you watch a Tennessee game and then you go watch like um, a Wisconsin game, for example, mm -hmm. it's like watching mm -hmm. two different sports. Yep. But they're played at the same same levels. Uh, K-State, for example, like just to, on Mizzou schedule alone, there were like seven different ways that teams were trying to exploit you defensively. Same thing is true on the defensive side of the ball. So that is part of what I love about it. And once you get to the NFL level, it's all kind of at this point um, become like this. Just the same stuff. Yeah, everybody's running yeah. some version of a spread West Coast offense. And they're running some version of a 3-4-4-3 hybrid. And they're trying to mask all of their cover two style coverages. And that's pretty much it. So mm -hmm. college football has that going for it. And if we can just speed it up, 
if we can get the pace at a better rate, whatever that requires, I'm in favor of that. So if I were made czar of football, of American football, and no one's ever going to make me do this, but if they were, um, I got four things that I would like to implement. And I'll, I'll get your opinion once I go off the floor. Yeah. Um, so the one we already talked about, the running clock after converting a first down. That should be the rule at the pros, college, high school, wherever. That should always be the rule. Um, the second one, and because I love offense, I want offensive linemen to be able to block downfield three yards on a passing play. The whole RPO rule, I want that. Oh, I like interesting. That. I Okay. I like that a lot. So I know it doesn't like get... no illegal man downfield type of thing. Kind of, yeah. Now, if you're 10, years, 10 yards downfield, okay, yeah, that's a problem. Okay. But, you know, if you're within three yards of the line of scrimmage, that's fine. Okay. Because RPOs rule, and I like offense, and I love it when a, a talented team can run that kind of stuff. Also, so it I, makes it I, – I think that helps with the running game too because does, now if yeah. you're allowing those linemen to get more downfield, they don't have to be quite as hesitant about winning mm. their blocks at the line of scrimmage. Which right. does sometimes impact, like one of the things that I do think is a problem for some teams that run a lot of RPOs, their running game sometimes gets affected where it's like the RPO works for the pass, but not as much for the run sometimes, or at least it limits the the potential upside to it. No. So I would, I would make that change. The other one I would do is again, I'm trying to get uniform across all levels and let's just do one foot inbounds as a catch. Okay. I understand what is a catch is kind of like the question of our sports age, but let's forget about that part. That's silly. I understand that, but just get a single foot in. That's all you need. Okay. That we don't need to make it harder at the pros. I know they're all great anyway. Let's have them have some sweet single foot toe taps. You don't disagree with that. Two, two feet is necessary at the NFL level. Balderdash. And then lastly, and I, I don't know where I, how I fall out here. I don't know if people hate this or love this. We have to go back to the overtime rules from college from two years ago, which oh. is dueling, dueling possessions at the 25 yard line. Okay. You go back and forth. The first one who, who, you know, you can kick a field goal, you can score a touchdown, but the team who can't keep up after each team gets a possession, you know, that team loses the other team wins. That to me is perfect overtime football. And I would love to see that at the pros. I think that could be so much fun. But that's that's what I would want from overtime. Your thoughts on that? Teams are too good in the NFL level to do that um, consistently. I think that's that's the problem is like if you had the Bills versus the Chiefs, just as an example, like mm-hmm. Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes, or honestly, you could just go back to the Super Bowl. It was very close to the possibility of us going to overtime in that game. Um, if you had Chiefs versus Eagles and you've got both of those teams going in from the 25 yard line, you might end up getting like, 150 points in that game yes and, that's what i want <laughs> so here's the problem you're, you're not thinking the way that the leagues are thinking now which is what they have to think about now and that is the betting side of things <laughs> i i'm to, i'm totally God. serious dude the the point totals uh. matter to these leagues now because they are in bed with gambling because they are taking so much money from these gambling sites and therefore if you're the nfl and you have millions upon millions of dollars bet upon your games and you have this gimmicky overtime it it could become something that ends up getting a lot of backlash so that is i think part of the formula for their overtime is not allowing that to take place the no fun league strikes again i hear you because right now like the most points that you could score in overtime in the nfl is 14 yeah 
because if you score first, the other team matches and then you go and you score again. The, the next one is is sudden death after that. Hmm. Well, that's silly. Bet the over. <laughs> Bet the over. Come on. Touche. That's not Touche. so hard. Um, so, yeah, I get, I, we'll, we'll see what happens from the rules. You know, when these things happen, they always come up with the dumbest stuff. So I'm not expecting any great... Any great developments here, but it's something to keep your eye on. And I, there's also no timeline that I have seen. So who knows when they're going to come up with it. But that's just something that was, that caught my eye. And then finally, we'll get out after this one. Uh, Phil Steele, who is, I don't know if you all read him, but he is OG, man. He has been doing college football previews since, I think, even before my parents were born. So um, he has he comes out with his, uh, with his magazine every year. And there's so many different things that goes into it. One of the things that he puts in is strength of schedule. And he does it in a very simplistic way. It's easy to understand. I'm not sure if it's worth projecting, but it's it's easy to consume and easy to understand. So let's dive through it here. Basically, what he does is he takes a team's uh, – well, let me use our numbers here. He will take, for example, Missouri's 2023 schedule. He'll look at the opponents, whether they're home or away. And then he'll look at that opponent's win-loss record and whether they went to a bowl or not. And based off of win-loss percentage and bowl game participation, he determines who has the toughest schedule heading into 2023. Obviously, we know that's not going to stick, but it's just, again, it's a talking point in the offseason. So he released the top 15. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some names on here. You see Ohio State. You see Kansas State. See Houston on there. Well, that's a good one. Uh, you see Florida's got one of the toughest schedules. This number is tied for sixth with Houston. Uh, and then you oh, well, who's this at number five? Oh, it's Missouri. Oh, Missouri has the fifth hardest schedule in 2023, according to Phil Steele. Their opponent win-loss record. So everyone they play in 2023, their loss, their record in 2022 was 97 and 60. That is a 61.8% win percentage. And of course, Missouri has 10 games against bowl teams from a season ago, which is the most in the SEC. Of course. Because of course, of course, 2023 is going to be the breakout season. And of course, that's this, this is the season that they get the hardest schedule. BK, what do you think? So I, I want to start with this. Um, Anybody that has Georgia on their schedule is going to be dinged on something like this because Georgia's amazing. Uh, anybody that has to play Georgia and Tennessee, certainly not going to be helpful for them uh, because both of those teams were super awesome last year as well. And then when you just look at like the way that the SEC sets up, it's just always going to be tough. So that's why when you look at the top of the standings, number one in terms of toughest schedule for 2023 is South Carolina. Number four, Ole Miss. Number five, Missouri. Number six, Florida. Um, number 11, Kentucky. Number 12, Auburn. Like It continues on from there where the Tennessee at 16. The SEC has like eight of the top 16 teams in terms of most difficult schedules in the country going into next year. It's because they play in the SEC because all of these teams are really, really, really good. And then when you add in the fact that Missouri also happens to be playing K-State in a non-con slate next year, that makes it an incredibly difficult schedule. That being said, like you do play the Dakota team that you want to play. Middle Tennessee State last year was 88th overall in SP+. Memphis was 43rd. Vandy was right around 80. 
But then he gets really tough, man. Like LSU top 15, Kentucky top 30, South Carolina top 25, Georgia number one, Tennessee number five. Even like Florida and Arkansas were were solid teams a year ago. You just don't get a break, really. And I think that's what stands out about the schedule going into next season is after that first month, once you get into like October and beyond, who buddy, is it going to be really tough? It's almost like the uh, the early years of, or maybe the last year, really, of Barry Odom, where it's like, it, it, it's it's going to be so tough down the stretch. It's like the, I guess, reverso Barry Odom, <laughs> where he would like struggle out of the gates and then figure it out in the second half of the season. It's very possible that Missouri comes out and is like awesome in the first five games. They go like four and one, something like that. And then the second half of the season, you're just like, what happened? And it won't be anything about a reflection of Missouri's talent level, and it'll be everything about a reflection of who they're playing. Which, by the way, is why I hate these schedules. <laughs> well, look, man, there there are worse things in the world than starting off with four or five wins in the season. Right? We always, you and I complain about how the wind gets taken out of the sails early, and well, here you go. Here's your chance to keep that momentum from the offseason uh, yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, you're right. South Dakota, that's the one Dakota that isn't as good at football as the others. South Dakota State just won the FCS playoff. They beat North Dakota State in the in the, in the championship, which NDSU has been, you know, eight-time champions of the FCS. And then, of course, North Dakota, uh, heavy, was in the playoff as well last year. So you won South Dakota. And plus, that's your FCS game at home to open up the year. So that's good. Middle Tennessee somehow made a bowl, uh, beat the hell out of Miami, Hello, Jake Garcia. Um, so that'll, you know, that might be weird, but Middle Tennessee is a shambles of a program. They they got into a bowl because Conference USA stinks. Kansas State at home is your first real test. They lose a lot, but, you know, you trust the system. Let's just say Missouri beats K-State. Now you're Ooh, three, Yeah, like three. that idea. Yeah, okay. Then you go to St. Louis and you play Memphis, which yeah. Memphis is also kind of crumbling. I'll be there. Let's say 4-0. Then you yeah. go to Vanderbilt. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Vanderbilt's Vanderbilt's a lot better than they were, but Missouri should also be better than they were. Let's see. I like this version of Nate. This is great. This is good. I know. I know. I took my meds this morning. I feel great. (laughs) This is this Um, is fun, Nate. I like this version of you. I remember last year doing this, and you said, "Uh huh, Um, yeah, yeah. okay, uh huh, yeah, all right, BK." (laughs) I was also right Um, (laughs) about all of it, about literally every piece of it. (laughs) (laughs) So then you get your first test in LSU. And that's at home. That might, oh, that might be homecoming. LSU or South Carolina will be homecoming. Um, that's going to be tough. Kentucky at Kentucky, always tough. South Carolina at home, always, always tough. tough. <laughs> Georgia away, loss. Tennessee at home, tough. Florida at home, tough. Arkansas away, tough. Five built different. Bi- Mizzou, t- yeah. Mizzou football 2023. Hashtag built different in the second <laughs> half. Five and zero oh begets. Uh, God, seven win and five. Win two of those, please. Yeah, seven like, and five. Seven and five. And, and that's going to feel like a massive letdown. But let's just say it right now. It is February 21st. We are seven, you know, about seven months away. Just be prepared for a great start and a less stellar finish. And I don't think that means Eli Drinkwitz gets fired. We've talked about how he is not on the hot seat and that's not really a thing. But I would understand if people get really frustrated with the hot start and the cold finish. Um, you know what? You know what helps? Winning a bowl game. You know, winning a bowl game, that that might solve some of the issues there. 
but it's going to be tough. It's going to be 2019. Like, that's what we're looking at. Yeah, you're it's going to be 2019. And you hope to avoid Wyoming. Jeez, yeah. I mean, that's it. Like, because yeah. that, that season, you started out so hot and you felt so good about everything, but it included wins against West Virginia, a team that wasn't very good that year, SEMO, South Carolina, Troy, and then Ole Miss. That was a really nice win against Ole Miss. Don't get me wrong, but th- that was your start to the season. And you had that terrible, terrible, awful, no good, very bad loss against Wyoming. And then you lost against Vandy, Kentucky, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee in a row consecutively. You went from five and one to five and six. So that that is what this season has the potential to be. And I'm not trying to like pee in anybody's Cheerios or anything, but just given the way that the schedule sets up, it's it's not ideal for Mizzou. And that's why they have to genuinely get better this year. It can't be mm-hmm. one of those things where like the quality of the team is the same, but the record gets better as a reflection of who you're playing against. No, this will be a a team that needs to be SP plus wise ranked significantly ahead of where they were a year ago. If they want to get to like eight and four, they have to be better. And, and to, you know, to drinks credit, they have been getting a lot better. Yeah. Um, you know, they were eight points better than the average team this year. Last year it was like 1.6 the year before that, where they were basically even. So the, the product has been getting better. The issues is that you play in the sec. And this, uh, this defense has the potential to be really good, man. Like, really yeah. good, mm-hmm. depending on what happens at Edge. But that's another <laughs> discussion for another day. Hopefully we can talk about that uh, in the future, about how they uh, continue to bring in some transfers. Because, yeah, I would like to see that. I would like to see that a lot. Um, but, yeah, that's 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 we were able to find some news items and talk for about 40 minutes when nothing was happening. BK, parting shots, go. Uh, I think we figured out that Missouri's going to go 10 and two next year. They're uh-huh. going to take advantage of what is an obviously very manageable schedule that really <laughs> falls off at the end of the season. And therefore, ipso facto, Nate is optimistic about the 2023 season. That's what I took away from today's episode. Yes. And uh, any complaints, you can send them to Sam Snelling. That's right. At, uh, gmail.com. And you can ask for your money back. Uh, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. C-O-U. Bye.